0: Good morning everyone. If you would uh, turn in your Bibles again to 1st Corinthians, we're going to continue our lessons there in 1st Corinthians. We looked at the first few verses of chapter 1 last week, and I want to continue there right about chapter 1 and verse 18. Uh, we're going to see uh, Paul's <coughs> short dissertation here about the cross, and particularly what he calls the word of the cross. And I think it's important that we remember the cross always. Um, the timing is just perfect. I mean, this is a time of year uh, whenever people focus on the Lord and then kind of forget about Him for the rest of the year. It's interesting. Um, but the fact of the matter is, for Christians, uh, we understand uh, what the word of the cross is. We understand the significance of the cross of Jesus Christ. And... One of the greatest injustices, probably at the time of Paul, is very similar to what's going on now, uh, which is the cross being kind of glorified as a as a symbol, as an icon. Um, one commentator said that he was very sad because in the modern age, the cross has become sanitized, he said. <laughs> That's actually what he calls it. He said, we have taken it. We have sanitized it, we've glorified it, and we've made it just a symbol of something and an icon uh, in our age. And in the first century now, whenever Paul was writing this particular letter, the the cross was obviously deplorable. I mean, it was still fresh in the minds of those who understood what it meant. The symbol and the meaning was fresh in their minds. It hadn't been sanitized at all. And it is in that idea, in that frame of mind that Paul speaks and Paul writes and he demands that they understand that. Uh, very few of us would have a, a tie clip that has, that had an electric chair on it. Uh, very, you know, <laughs> that doesn't, you know, people would go, "Why are you wearing that?" Well, it's a symbol of my faith, is it really? You know, a symbol of your faith, the electric chair, yes. But today, we we kind of sanitized the cross and made it this this instrument of torture and pain that Jesus Christ had to uh, had to be nailed to and was nailed to and hung from. Uh, it has been sanitized into the, that, that very same thing. So just as we understand an electric chair, a gas chamber, and we wouldn't wear or display such things now in any kind of a positive way, in in that first century, the cross was still fresh in their minds, and their understanding of it was very, very fresh. And see, for Paul, the cross is about what it's supposed to be about. It's about uh, pain, it's about injustice, it's about suffering, it's about the death of the Messiah. And by all means, the cross is the means by which we are saved. But it is the symbol of what Jesus had to go through to give us that. And it's not to be sanitized in our minds. And of course, for Paul, it's not sanitized. As a matter of fact, he says it's a matter of folly to those who are perishing. And so let's go ahead and look at those uh, for, the next few verses in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18-25, through 25, we read there, he says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, Paul's words you can glean from reading uh, the book of Isaiah, particularly around the 55th chapter. Um, uh, certainly you can pull from Isaiah 29. Uh, Paul is alluding to, by his very words, by his very statements, um, the the time when Israel really defied God by the way that they were just offering lip service to Him. They had sanitized the religion to a point uh, that it didn't even resemble what it truly was anymore. Their knowledge was very weak. And so, the terrible cross now is the instrument in Paul's time, not of beauty or glorification, uh, but for destruction of human invention and imagination. He He is basically letting them know that the cross has a unique purpose. And the purpose of the cross is not to be glorified, sanitized, whatever you want to call it. It is not the purpose of the cross. The purpose of the cross is to thwart lack of knowledge, just like in the old days in Isaiah 29 where you read there, the word of God was, was counteracting their ignorance and counteracting their lip service to God. <coughs> and so for, for first century Christians, um, the cross is supposed to do the same thing. Now if you go ahead to the second letter, of Paul to the Corinthians, just real quick, in 2 Corinthians 10, and verse 4, beginning, uh, we'll read there, and he says, "Um, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Look at what he says in verse 5. We destroy arguments, and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. That is the word of the cross. That is the message of the cross. That is the symbol and the effect of the cross. And it is folly to the perishing. And that's what Paul is demanding they understand and that's what he's demanding that we understand. You have Christ. You have the cross. You have the gospel. You have all of those things that we enjoy and that we are blessed by but they don't exist to make us feel good. They do not exist to make us feel this uh, this emotional high. Although in believers this is quite often the case. Okay, believers will often feel good about their life because it is in line with the word of God. They will feel emotional elation, (coughs) because they're happy that they have defeated their own tendency towards sin. That's not what we're talking about here. What Paul is saying is that all of those things, as good as they are, they are made to defeat and subdue human arrogance, human pride, human ignorance. They're there to subdue all the things that cause us to not only sin, but to stay in sin. The cross is the reminder that without it, we would be eternally lost. That's what the reminder of the cross is. That's what the purpose of the cross is. That's what the word of the cross is. Appreciation. Isn't that odd? Something like just appreciation is the call of the cross. Do you and I glorify the idea: Do we sanitize it, or do we appreciate the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was delivered to that cross? That he that he was in pain on that cross, that he suffered on that cross. Do we have ultimate appreci- uh, appreciation for that? And is that what we look at the cross as? I mean, that's a very simple thing, but it's also quite profound. Do you appreciate? Do I appreciate? what God has done for us through His Son. If so, comfort really isn't the option there. I'm not comfortable with the fact that God gave His only begotten Son and who had to die for me. I'm not comfortable about that. That does not bring uh, a lot of emotional elation to me. What brings the comfort and the emotional elation to me is the fact that, that I now have advantage of it. Do I have realization? That's the call of the cross. The cross is not here to pacify me or to pacify you. It's to help us realize exactly who we are. That's the power of the cross. That's the word of the cross. And therefore, worldly wisdom is defied, Paul says, by the cross itself. That's the challenge that he issues. Look at how he issues that challenge. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? He says, where is the debater of this age? Look at what he's talking about. He's talking about people who set themselves up to do these things. He talks about people who live their lives so that others would think they're wise. They live their lives so that others would think they're learned. They're intelligent. Okay, They live their lives so that they can debate well and be, and be known by others. <laughs> Paul is issuing an open challenge to those who set themselves up as great. He's setting a challenge just like we should to anyone else in this day and age who sets themselves up. They can do it through books, they can do it through TV, they can do it through the internet. They actually set themselves up as great through the things that they can do. And even those of of Paul's time who were... Biblical people, who are religious people, who are people who apparently uh, and allegedly followed Christ. He's, he's calling them out here as well. He's challenging all of them, because they're simply ignorant liars. That's who they are. And that's what they're doing. And so he is challenging those individuals, because that's the power of the cross. It defies worldly wisdom. His demand is simple. Everything that that is valuable to us. Everything that we would normally appreciate or respect. And we do that, don't we? If somebody's got a lot of intellect, we respect them. Why? I don't know. (laughs) It's just what we do. It doesn't make any difference. Uh, Human intellect, as it were, in, in and of itself, is not a faith. So why would we set that up? Someone who is greatly wise about life. Well, this life is a vapor. It comes and it goes. Why would we give our great respect to those who are wise about this life? All of that falls as nothing before the cross. That is Paul's demand. That is Paul's challenge. And this is illustrated today in individuals who say, well, you know, I'm not really a religious person. I'm more a spiritual person. People say that all the time. They don't even know what that means. It just sounds good to them. I'm not really religious. I'm spiritual. That doesn't make any sense. If you are spiritual, then you're going to be religious. And you're going to be religious. You're going to be religious according to the will of God. You're not going to be, do- and, and there are people that say, well, you know, I don't, I don't do the religion thing. You know, I don't, I don't like going to church, and I don't think you have to. I don't go for those organized religion kind of things. What does that mean? Just like the Pharisees of old, just like the, the naysayers of the time, that the, the apostles and the prophets, people are saying things that don't make any sense. They're just making these, uh, these platitudes. They're letting these platitudes come out of their mouth. They're saying these things that sound so cool and oh so philosophical and mean nothing at all. And that's what Paul is addressing here. He's addressing those who just kind of compartmentalize everything. And Paul even says that it pleases God that this works this way. And I find that, again, astounding. This is what pleases God. It pleases God that... When ignorant people say, well, you know, I don't really go for the religious thing, I'm more a spiritual kind of person. It pleases him that they say that. And I find that just astounding. These are those who consider assemblies as as optional, right? Like we said before. Baptism is unnecessary. The Lord's Supper, just a tradition, it's an event, it's a sacrament. Why does God, why does it please him that this happens? That's just amazing testimony from the Apostle. Those are amazing phrases. It pleases God that this is true. And the only thing that I can think of that as to why this would please God in my simple little mind is just that I kind of believe that Paul says that because God is pleased that by the rebellion of people, they really clearly indicate who they are. Every time somebody tells me I'm more of a spiritual person, I know that's nonsense. I know that's nonsense. Because they can't explain what spiritual means, and that's the beauty of it to them. You know, if you say, well, what do you mean by spiritual? Well, you know, I I just, you know, it's it's spiritual. It's not something you can explain. It's better felt than told, that kind of thing, right? It doesn't make any sense, right? It doesn't make any sense, but people invest their entire life on such a, on such a lie and it's, it's astounding to me that that pleases God. It's also very sobering to me that that pleases God because by that ignorance, right by that rebellion, by that simplicity that is nothing, he now has a strong indication of who's who and so do we we can have that indication as well. Because this makes it evident. And that's what Paul points out. These are the things that make those who are perishing evident. Look at what he says about them in that passage. He says that they are the kind of people that need two things, right? Just like the Jews needed, just like the Greeks needed. What did the Jews need? They needed a sign, didn't they? That's what the Jews needed. They needed a sign, and the Greeks sought wisdom. I look at that, and I can say, man, we haven't come very far in our ignorance, have we? We haven't come very far. We haven't learned new ways to rebel. We are still rebelling in the same old ways. If you remember from Sunday morning, if you were here uh, during those studies, we've been studying from John, in chapters 4 and 6, the Jews said they desired signs. Do you know what Jesus Christ gave them? Signs. He healed the sick. He healed the blind. He fed thousands with almost nothing. He did everything that they wanted. He was he was very compassionate towards them. He was very giving towards them. He was open to the fact that their culture and their mindset and their religious practices over the last hundreds of years or so had set them in a place that if somebody would give them a sign, they would see it. And so he gave them multiple signs. But just like their forefathers in the wilderness, whenever God gave them manna and quail and water from rocks and things should have come, they didn't pay any attention to it. He gave them exactly what they wanted. But they didn't really want that, did they? They didn't really want the signs. What did they want? They wanted a performance so they could evaluate. And that's interesting that their their mindset was just that. Because this morning when we read from John, we read that people said, you know, Jesus Christ healed this blind man. And they said, oh, he must be a sinner. And other people were going, that doesn't make any sense. How can a sinner heal somebody who's blind? That's never happened. As we will read next time in class, uh, as we go forward, I don't mean to be running over where Frank's going, but they're going to be even more confused by that. They're going to say, those who see, understand what they're seeing, the signs that they're seeing. They're going to say, wait just a second. Nobody in the history of our people has ever healed a blind person. It's an astounding idea. And it's true. And so Jesus gives them not only abundant signs, but signs that are so unique, they, they could, they'd they fall over them. But they didn't want to see the signs. See, that's the idea. They did not want to see the signs. They wanted Jesus to perform in front of them. Very sad. He's he's nothing more than a performer to them. And they wanted to be the evaluators of his performance. And what does a performer do? The very nature of a performer is that they perform, and then they wait, and they eagerly desire the evaluation of the audience and the approval of the audience. And when Jesus wasn't giving them that, they got upset. <laughs> they gotta say, "Wait, we're the evaluators, buddy." And he's like, "I'm the Son of God. I'm going to go heal people and preach the word. If you want me to be your little puppet or your little plaything that you can evaluate, you're gonna to have to pick somebody else. I'm the Son of God. I'm going to save the world." And they didn't appreciate that. And isn't that amazing? Isn't that just amazing that their mindset would be so stubborn? That they would miss exactly what he was giving them. Who wants to follow God today? Very few, right? There are very few who truly want to follow God. Today we're making the same mistakes. We want signs. We want wisdom. We want things that impress us so that we can be the evaluators. Tell me that's not true. That's why modern religions are so based in entertainment and humanism. That's why they're so based in that. Well, you know, we did a poll after the assembly this morning... And the poll results came back that only 72% of the people were emotionally related. So we're going to have to charge this sucker up. We're going to have to get this to be a little bit better so that we can get those numbers up. That's what we've got today. We've got the people who are worshiping God demanding the worship. And that's what we see all throughout false religions today. If God deserves my worship. Now they wouldn't say that, would they? Do you think somebody from the Abundant Living Faith Center or from a Baptist church or something like that would say, no, no, if I'm not worshiping God because I'm doing it so that I, I want Him to feel like, like He deserves my worship. They won't say that, but that's exactly what they're doing. That's exactly what everything is based on. The mindset is, if God deserves my worship, He will give me, and then you fill in the blank. If God deserves my worship, he will provide for me, and you fill in the blank. If God deserves my worship, then he will do for me, fill in the blank, right? This is what we see in modern religion. What do people always say? Well, you guys, you guys are kind of boring, aren't you? Well, why are we boring? Well, you just sit there and you read the Bible and you worship God according to the way that he says in the Bible, and that's kind of boring. And you hear people come in and go, well, what can you offer my kids? Um, eternal life. How about that? Well, what about games and Kool-Aid and donuts? Uh, go to the fair? I don't know. That's not what God offers your kids, or you, or me, or anybody in this world. He offers everlasting life, but let's just be face it. Let's face it. That's not as good to us as Kool-Aid, donuts, and a show, is it? It's just not as good, is it? Wait a minute. Everlasting life? Starbucks. Hmm... And we don't want to admit that, but that's exactly the kind of, forgive the word, prostitutes we've become. We have pimped ourselves out, people, to entertainment and filling our bellies when God demands worship. And in return, He gives everlasting life. Not because He's responding To us because he thinks, he's glad that we think he deserves us. That's not the point. Because he loves us and he wants us to be happy. But he's God. He's just. He's not stupid. He's not foolish. He demands worship. He demands faith. The cross makes those who are perishing evident. And that is what Paul demands here. The evident are perishing and we can see them. Paul could see them. There are those who practice wisdom, even now, as the Greeks did. We have a whole world filled with people that that believe that if they can explain the universe, they can have control over it. Exactly the same way that the Greeks did. The Greeks believed that, you know, Apollo pulled the sun across the sky on his chariot. (coughs) And people back then went, oh, that is so philosophical and beautiful, and we're going to believe that. Now we look at that and go, are they crazy? Are they nuts? No, 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 they were just rebellious against knowledge. (coughs) They were rebellious against faith. You can look at them 2,000 years later and go, well, they were stupid. (laughs) Yeah, we are too. People that look look at us in 2,000 years, probably, if we have that long, (laughs) will look at us in the same way. I mean, how are these people going to be seen in the future? Isn't that what the evolutionist says? The environmentalist, the humanist. You know, make sure that, 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 you know... You do everything you can to save that earth because you're destroying it. That doesn't even make any sense. People have lived on the earth for thousands and thousands of years. But you and I, we're the ones putting the dent in it. People are going to live thousands of years from now. But you and I are the ones putting the dent in it. And don't get me wrong. I believe we are supposed to be good stewards of the earth. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe we should keep our area clean, recycle stuff. I believe all of that. But not because I think that humans can save the earth. (laughs) Or that humans are destroying the earth. But because I think that we should be good stewards of the earth. Just like a good husbandman, a good gardener, is a good steward of, of the land that brings forth fruit. I mean, it's the same idea. But these people, they're crazy. Absolutely nuts. They have gone out of reason and out of their mindset. And all we see is self-centeredness evidenced by their own preeminence. That's what we see in all of these modern ideas. The view of these is greater regardless of the reasoning of those of us who are lesser than they of those are us who are not as intellectual or as educated as they are, who are ignorant. I'll take ignorance. Because the fact of the matter is, the Scripture, the cross, that's all that matters. The cross being preached is all that matters. Paul defies all of these parties because he's following God and His will. That should be a capital G. Sorry, but he's following God and His will. To them, the will of God, and and to anybody who's a humanist or any of those guys I listed today, they're going to say, you know, the will of God's nonsense. It's it's willful superstition. I mean, it's just amazing the things that you guys will fall for, the things you guys will believe. That's exactly what Paul is addressing. Paul preaches the cross. He doesn't care about the fact that other people will call him ignorant, other people will call him crazy, other people will call him foolish. He, he doesn't care about all that. He's preaching the cross because he understands what it means to a Christian. And look at verses 24 and 25 there. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, in 1 Corinthians 1, 24, Christ Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now let's keep going with that. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. And I when I came to you brothers did not come proclaiming you the testimony of God with a lofty speech or wisdom For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What a wonderful hope for all of us. Were you high born? I wasn't. (laughs) were you born into wealth or into influence? I wasn't. That doesn't mean you're horrible and bad if you were, but it sure does mean that you have a healthy challenge that I don't have to live with. Because nothing that I'm given in this world, nothing that that I'm born into, into this world, gives me any advantage when it comes to God. I get no advantage at all. And these blessings, according to Paul, only serve if they are received in humble acknowledgement that God has provided them. This is who we are. We're unique, aren't we? I mean, when you read that passage there, it's very hard. You've got to read it over and over and over again. You know, it's just... Are you kidding me? God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are? Whew that's hard to read. That's very confusing, very difficult. But but Paul is demanding how unique we are. Look back at, at Matthew, please, at Matthew eleven, if you would read with me there in Matthew, the eleventh chapter. In Matthew chapter eleven, verses twenty five and twenty six. Look at what Jesus says. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. You know, you look at children, what are children? And I don't mean the spoiled brats crying in the middle of the Walmart, you know, toy aisle. I'm not talking about them, those are spoiled brats. I'm talking about children good children. What are they? When you when you look at children and you see them, they're very simple, aren't they? You give them a present, they play with the box. I love that joke. You know why that's true? Because they're simple. <laughs> they're very simple. They are easily pleased. They're trusting, aren't they? They're curious, aren't they? And, and, and they're very lovingly dependent. See, God always illustrates the proper faith as as those who are like children. He does the same thing here in Matthew. Uh, uh, Paul is demanding the same thing, the profound, the wise. No, 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 those are not the things that matter. God's people are those that the world would not find valuable. We are not the Dr. Phil's. We are not the Joel Osteen. We are not the Oprah's. We are not those kinds of people. Because they're just talking to hear themselves talk. They're talking to make themselves wealthy. They're talking to make themselves great. And if they happen to stumble over something that changes somebody's life, well, that's just wonderful. They'll make sure and put that on their next show. So that they can be even more great. But everything that they say and everything that they do affects few to none. Whereas the cross, Jesus Christ, God's will, affects everybody. And so Paul tells us that's why God chose it. He chose the foolish in the world, the weak in the world, so that they could make much out of nothing. Isn't that incredible? Absolutely incredible. Have you ever noted someone who was unreasonable or said something unreasonable and you say, boy, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard people say that? I love that expression. What are you talking about? You are making a mountain out of a molehill. I, told, I heard that from my mom and dad's mouth. Oh, more times than I can count. Because I was not the most reasonable child in the world. And I was constantly making a mountain out of a molehill. And you know the feeling. And you know what that means, right? Well, God makes the mountain a molehill. (laughs) That's what his will does. Takes the mountain, makes it a molehill. That's the comparison to His Word. That's the comparison to His will. It turns everything on its head. Everything is right opposite. That's the design of God. And it is a boastless design. When we're weak, when we're humble, all of those things uplifting one another, the very opposite of what Corinth was doing, we are displaying that loving, childlike dependency upon God. That's what we're expressing. <clears throat> and we are turning our backs on the world. And so we can't boast about anything, can we? How many people do you know that always have to have their own way? You've met them. They will argue with you until they're blue in the face, and then they'll take a deep breath and argue again. Even though they're dead wrong. Or they'll twist everything around to make it right. Have you ever met somebody like that? You're dead wrong. Well, that's not what I was saying. I was saying, bloop, bloop, bloop. No, 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 wait a minute. That's not what you just said. Well, that's what I meant. Let's go with that. Have you ever met that person? In my family, it was a, it was a life skill. You know, there's just something that they could do. And we just knew how to do that like nobody's business. Because you always have to have your way. You always have to be at the center of things. God tells you, be careful about that. Be careful about that. That's a design. (laughs) That's a design I've put in you. To show who you really are. That's a design that I have made so that you can indicate who you are and contrast yourself to the truly faithful. Be very careful about that. And that demands that we take a lot of stock in who we really are. Who am I? Who are you? Are you wise? Are you righteous? Are you intelligent? Do you go through life validating, validating yourself because of yourself? <laughs> I mean, we have to ask ourselves that question. It's very interesting. I'm, I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. You know, I mean, is that is that exactly what we think about ourselves? Even though we won't say that, we often show that, don't we? We often show that through our lives, and we've got to be honest about that. If you look in, in Jeremiah, the ninth chapter, the prophets said nothing any different than this. Look in the ninth chapter of Jeremiah, verses 23 and 24. Thus saith the Lord, Jeremiah 9.23 Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. There's something to put on your your refrigerator. (laughs) There's a magnet for you, a bumper sticker for your car. The word of the cross is exactly the same as the words of the prophets. It's never changed. And look at how Paul, back in 1 Corinthians there in chapter 2, look at how he begins 1 Corinthians 2. And I did not come proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Look at the way he says that. I, that wasn't my purpose. It's not the way that I did things. Paul is living a boastless, uh, uh, boastless life. Are we? See, he says, uh, I wanted you to know that power rests in the wisdom of God, in the power of God. That's how he ends that fifth verse there. That's what he wanted everyone to know. Is that the way you and I live our lives? Do we live our lives so that everybody makes sure that, that what we're saying rests in faith? But, because today our faith rests with famous people. We listen to what famous people say. Or we believe that the world can be saved by politics. (laughs) No. (laughs) you know We we tend to believe really crazy things. Wealth can make life better. Uh, We can fix the world through psychology or through other forms of religion than the ones that are in the Bible. No, 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 we can't fix that. Those things may be useful in their own place. But that's not what changes the world. The cross is what changes the world. The word of the cross. The word of God. That's what changes the world. Where do you point yourself? Where do you point others? For wisdom. For righteousness. For salvation. If it's not towards the cross, you're walking aimlessly. And so am I. If that is not our guide point, everything else doesn't matter. It must be. So that faith rests... In the power of God, that's the key, and that's what Paul says. Is there some kind of an idol in your way? Because that's what the problem is. If if I believe that I can go on YouTube and I can Google a specific you know topic and see what Dr. Phil says about it, then then I I have an idol in my way. If I, if I can, if I look, go to the, to the, uh, bookstore and I'm always, you can always find me in the self-help section because I'm looking for the, for the latest book that gives me some life coaching advice. I've got some idols in my way. See, we all have to understand where our hope is. And is your hope just in that book, right? In this book that we have. Is our hope in it? I see people carrying this book like it was a talisman, you know? They carry it right <laughs> over their heart and they walk around as though no bullet could penetrate that and they, they are safe as they can be. Has, has the Bible even become an idol to you? Is that thing that you hold in your hand uh, what's important to you? Is it just become an idol to you? Or is what is written inside of it what's important to you? What, what, are, you, what are you wearing? You know what are you wearing around your neck on your lapel on the frames in your home on your walls? What are your focal points you know it, it, are there are there are there pictures are there symbols are there letters up there you know i you know look back in so and so I did this, and here's my little recognition thing and I keep it right there on the wall and I polish it. And all of that so that everybody can see it and I can see it. And I'm qualified. I know that I'm validated by that. Please, come on. People constantly ask me, why don't you put your stuff up on your walls? Because it's not anything. It's a piece of paper. It's a piece of paper that somebody said, hey, here, you worked on this. Here, here's your piece of paper. Thanks. Appreciate that. Which taught me a lesson very early. If I put hours and hours and hours of work and study into getting a degree, they give me a piece of paper. I looked down at that thing when I got it and I thought, That's it? That's all I get? It's just a piece of paper? Well yes, but that piece of paper means that you put all that work in could I just look at you and say I put all this work into it and you give me a piece of paper? Well that would be a lie. Well yeah it would. So's this. You know, I mean it's incredible. We always value and I, I you know we always value and worship things that are worthless. I'm not saying it's wrong to do that, don't get me wrong. If you want to put stuff up, stuff up on your wall that's your business. But but the fact of the matter is why do you do that? Is that is that all you are about? Because if those are your idols and those are the things that you believe qualify you then remember the cross is destruction to those things. Because the cross is destruction to self-centeredness, pride, and arrogance. That's what it is. And if we are practicing any of those things, can you have those things on your wall and on your lapel and on your tie and not be prideful and arrogant? Sure you can. (laughs) But... It certainly is really easy to go the other way. And that's all Paul is demanding of the Corinthians. Why are they so divided? Because they're so busy boasting over things that don't matter. They've turned their lives and their view away from the cross. And now Paul says, beware. Because God designed it that way. He designed it that way so that your rebelliousness, your willfulness, your your pride, your arrogance, your selfish desires would become the most evident they could become. For you to see, for others to see, and for God to know above all things. And so where are you at right now? Where am I at with that? If you're not baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins... Then the cross is not your focal point. And you need to make it your focal point. And quit making excuses. Like Jews who uh, of, of the old and, and even now who desire signs. Like Greeks who are looking for wisdom. No, no, no. You forget about all that. Turn to the cross. And if you are a Christian and you've fallen short of that, turn back. Turn back. That is the only thing that can defeat the willful world, and set us truly free to everlasting life. If you have any need, whatever that need is, please let it be known this morning. While we stand together...